Chapter 4, Part 3 of A Short Account of the History of Mathematics. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This reading is by Paul King, pjk.scripps.mit.edu forward slash pkj. A Short Account of the History of Mathematics by W. W. Rouse Ball. Chapter 4. The First Alexandrian School, circa 300 BC to 30 BC. Part 3. Apollonius. The third great mathematician of this century was Apollonius of Perga, who is chiefly celebrated for having produced a systematic treatise on the conic sections which not only included all that was previously known about them, but immensely extended the knowledge of these curves. This work was accepted at once as the standard textbook on the subject, and completely superseded the previous treatises on Menachmus, Aristeas, and Euclid, which until that time had been in general use. We know very little about Apollonius himself. He was born about 260 BC and died about 200 BC. He studied in Alexandria for many years, and probably lectured there. He is represented by Pappus as vain, jealous of the reputation of others, and ready to seize every opportunity to depreciate them. It is curious that while we know next to nothing of his life, or that of his contemporary Aristothenes, yet their nicknames, which were respectively Epsilon and Beta, have come down to us. Dr. Gao has ingeniously suggested that the lecture rooms at Alexandria were numbered, and that they always used the rooms numbered 5 and 2, respectively. Apollonius spent some years at Pergamum in Pamphylia, where a university had recently established an endowed in imitation of that at Alexandria. There he met Eudemus and Attalus, who he subsequently sent each book of his conics as it came out with an explanatory note. He returned to Alexandria and lived out there until his death, which was nearly contemporaneous with that of Archimedes. In his great work on conic sections he so thoroughly investigated the properties of these curves that he left but little for his successors to add. But his proofs are long and involved and I think that most readers will be content to accept a short analysis of his work and the assurance that his demonstrations are valid. Dr. Zuthin believes that many of the properties enunciated were obtained in the first instance by the use of coordinate geometry, and that the demonstrations were translated subsequently into a geometrical form. If this be so, we must suppose that from the classical writers were familiar with some branches of analytical geometry. Dr. Zuthin says, the use of orthogonal and oblique coordinates, and of transformations depending on abridged notation, that this knowledge was confined to a limited school and was finally lost. This is a mere conjecture and is unsupported by any direct evidence, but it has been accepted by many critics as affording an explanation of the extent and arrangement of the work. The treatise contained about 400 propositions and was divided into eight books. We have the Greek text of the first four of these, and we also possess copies of the commentaries by Pappus and Eutocius on the whole work. 
in the ninth century an arabic translation was made of the first seven books which were the only ones then extant we have two manuscripts of this version the eighth book is lost in the letter to eudemus which accompanied the first book apollonius says that he undertook the work at the request of nocrates a geometrician who had been staying with him at alexandria and though he had been given some of his friends a rough draft of it he preferred to revise it carefully before sending it to pergamum in the note which accompanied the next book he asked eudemus to read it and communicate it to others who can understand it and in particular to philonides a certain geometrician whom the author had met at ephesius the first four books deal with the elements of the subject and of these the first three are founded on euclid's previous work which was itself based on the earlier treatises by menachmus and aristeus Heraclides asserts that much of the matter in these books was stolen from an unpublished work of Archimedes, but a critical examination by Heiberg has shown that this is improbable. Apollonius begins by defining a cone in a circular base. He then investigates the different plane sections of it and shows that they are divisible into three kinds of curves which he calls ellipses, parabolas, and hyperbolas. He proves the proposition that if a a prime be the vertices of a conic and if p be any point and p m the perpendicular drawn from p on a a prime then in the usual notation the ratio m p squared to a m times m a prime is constant in an ellipse or hyperbola and the ratio m p squared to a m is constant in a parabola these are the characteristic properties on which almost all of the rest of the work is based. He next shews that if A be the vertex, L be the latus rectum, and if AM and MP be the abscissa and ordinate of any point on a conic, then MP squared is less than, equal to, or greater than L. AM, according as the conic is an ellipse, parabola, or hyperbola, hence the names which he gave to the curves by which they are still known. He had no idea of the directrix, and was not aware that the parabola had a focus. But with the exception of the propositions which involve these, his first three books contain most of the propositions which are found in modern textbooks. In the fourth book he develops the theory of lines cut harmonically, and treats the points of intersection of systems of conics. In the fifth book he commences with the theory of maxima and minima, applies it to find the center of curvature at any point of a conic and the evolute of a curve and discusses the number of normals which can be drawn from a point to a conic in the sixth book he treats of similar conics the seventh and eighth books were given up to a discussion of conjugate diameters and the latter of these was conjecturally restored by e halley in seventeen ten the verbose and tedious explanations make the book repulsive to most modern readers, but the logical arrangement and reasoning are unexceptionable, and it has not been unfitly described as the crown of Greek geometry. It is the work on which the reputation of Apollonius rests, and it earned for him the name the Great Geometrician. Besides this immense treatise he wrote, a number of shorter works of course the books were written in greek but they are usually referred to by their latin titles 
those about which we know anything are enumerated below he was the author of a work on the problem given two coplanar straight lines a little a and b little b drawn through fixed points a and b to draw a line o little a little b from a given point o outside of them cutting them in little a and little b so that a little a shall be to b little b in a given ratio he reduced the question to seventy-seven separate cases and gave an appropriate solution with the aid of conics for each case this was published by e halley translated from arabic copy in seventeen o six he also wrote a treatise on dissectione spaci restored by e halley in seventeen o six on the same problem under the condition that the rectangle big a little b dot big b little b was given he wrote another entitled dissectione determinada restored by r simpson glasgow seventeen forty nine dealing with problems such as to find a point p in a given straight line a b so that p a squared shall be to p b in a given ratio he wrote another de tactionibus restored by vieta in sixteen hundred see below page two thirty eight on the construction of a circle which shall touch three given circles another work was his de inclinationibus restored by m gitaldi venice sixteen o seven on the problem to draw a line so that the intercept between two given lines or the circumference of two given circles shall be of a given length he was also the author of a treatise in three books on plain loci de locis planis restored by fermat in sixteen thirty seven and by r simpson in seventeen forty six and of another on the regular solids and lastly he wrote a treatise on unclassed incommensurables being a commentary on the tenth book of euclid it is believed that in one or more of the lost books he used the method of conical projections besides these geometrical works he wrote on the methods of arithmetical calculation all that we know of this is derived from some remarks of pappus fredeline thinks that it was merely a sort of ready reckoner it would however seem that apollonius here suggested a system of numeration similar to that proposed by archimedes see above but proceeding by tetrads instead of octads and described a notation for it it will be noticed that our modern notation goes by hexads a million is ten to the sixth a billion that is a million million is ten to the twelve and a trillion that is a million billion is ten to the eighteen etc it is not impossible that apollonius also pointed out that a decimal system of notation involving only nine symbols would facilitate numerical multiplications apollonius was interested in astronomy and wrote a book on the stations and regressions of the planets of which ptolemy made some use in writing in the almagest he also wrote a treatise on the use and theory of the screw in statics this is a long list but i should propose that most of these works were short tracts on special points like so many of his predecessors he too gave a construction for finding 
two mean proportionals between two given lines and thereby duplicating the cube. It was as follows. Let OA and OB be the given lines. Construct a rectangle OADB of which they are adjacent sides. Draw a diagonal from A to B of center point C. Then, if with C is the center, we can describe a circle cutting OA produced in little a and cutting OB produced in little b, so that little a, big D, little b shall be a straight line, the problem is affected. For it is easily shown that O little a times A little a plus CA squared equals C little a squared. Similarly, O little b times B little b plus CB squared equals C little b squared. Hence, O little a times A little a equals O little b times B little b. That is, the ratio O little a to O little b equals the ratio B little b to A little a. But by similar triangles, BD to B little b equals the ratio O little a to O little b, which is also equal to the ratio A little a to AD. Therefore, OA to B little b equals B little b to A little a, which is also equal to A little a to OB. That is, B little b and O little a are the two mean proportionals between OA and OB. It is impossible to construct the circle whose center is C by Euclidean geometry, but Apollonius gave a mechanical way of describing it. This construction is quoted by several Arabic writers. In one of the most brilliant passages of his Apressu Historique, Chasles remarks that while Archimedes and Apollonius were the most able geometricians of the old world, their works are distinguished by a contrast which runs through the whole subsequent history of geometry. Archimedes, in attacking the problem of the quadrature of curved linear areas, laid the foundation of the geometry which rests on measurements. This naturally gave rise to the infinitesimal calculus and in fact the method of exhaustions as used by Archimedes does not differ in principle from the method of limits used by Newton. Apollonius, on the other hand, in investigating the properties of conic sections by means of transversals involving the ratio of rectilineal distances and of perspective, laid the foundations of the geometry of form and position. Eratosthenes among the contemporaries of Archimedes and Apollonius, I may mention Eratosthenes. Born at Cyrene in 275 BC, he was educated at Alexandria, perhaps at the same time as Archimedes, of whom he was a personal friend, and Athens, and was at an early age entrusted with the care of the university library at Alexandria, a post which probably he occupied till his death. He was the admirable Christian of his age, and distinguished for his athletic achievements not less than for his literary and scientific attainments. He was also something of a poet. He lost sight by ophthalmia, then as now, a curse of the valley of the Nile, 
and refusing to live when he was no longer able to read, he committed suicide by starvation in 194 BC. In science he was chiefly interested in astronomy and geodesy, and he constructed various astronomical instruments which were used for some centuries at the university. He introduced the calendar, now known as Julian, in which every fourth year contains 366 days, and he determined the obliquity of the ecliptic as 23 degrees, 51 minutes, and 20 seconds. He measured the length of a degree on the Earth's surface, making it to be about 79 miles, which is actually too long by nearly 10 miles, and thence calculated the circumference of the Earth to be 252,000 stadia, which, if we take the Olympic Stadium of 202 and one-quarter yards, is equivalent to saying that the radius is about 4,600 miles. The principle used in the determination is correct. Of Eratosthenes's work in mathematics, we have two extant illustrations, one in a description of an instrument to duplicate a cube, and the other in the rule he gave for constructing a table of prime numbers. The former is given in many books. The latter, called the Sieve of Eratosthenes, was as follows. Write down all the numbers from one upwards. Then, every second number from two is a multiple of two and may be cancelled. Every third number from three is a multiple of three and may be cancelled. Every fifth number from five is a multiple of five and may be cancelled, and so on. It has been estimated that it would involve working for about 300 hours to thus find the primes in the numbers from one to one million. The labor of determining whether any particular number is prime may be, however, much shortened by observing that if a number can be expressed as a product of two factors, one must be less and the other greater than the square root of the number, unless the number is the square of a prime, which cut, in which case the two factors are equal. Hence, every composite number must be divisible by a prime number which is not greater than its square root. The second century before Christ. The third century before Christ, which opens with the career of Euclid and closes with the death of Apollonius, is the most brilliant era in the history of Greek mathematics. But the great mathematicians of that century were geometricians, and under their influence attention was directed almost solely to that branch of mathematics. With the methods they used, and to which their successors were by tradition confined, it was hardly possible to make any further great advance. To fill up a few details in a work that was completed in its essential parts was all that could be effected. It was not till after the lapse of nearly 1,800 years that the genius of Descartes opened the way to any further progress in geometry and I therefore pass over the numerous writers who followed Apollonius but with slight mention. Indeed, it may be said roughly that during the next thousand years Pappus was the sole geometrician of any great ability, and during this long period almost the only other pure mathematician of exceptional genius was Hipparchus and Ptolemy, who laid the foundations of trigonometry, and Diophantus, who laid those of algebra. Early in the second century, circa 180 BC, we find the names of three mathematicians, 
Hypsicles, Nicomedes, and Diocles, who were in their own day famous. Hypsicles. The first of these was Hypsicles, who added a fourteenth book to Euclid's Elements in which the regular solids were discussed. In another small work entitled Risings, Hypsicles developed the theory of arithmetical progressions which had been so strangely neglected by the earlier mathematicians, and here for the first time in Greek mathematics we find a right angle divided in the Babylonian manner into ninety degrees. Possibly Eratosthenes may have previously estimated angles by the number of degrees they contain, but this is only a matter of conjecture. Nicomedes. The second was Nicomedes who invented the curve known as the conchoid, or the shell-shaped curve. If from a fixed point S a line be drawn cutting a given fixed straight line in Q, and if P be taken on SQ so that the length QP is constant, say D, then the locus of P is the conchoid. Its equation may be put in the form of R equals A multiplied by secant theta plus or minus D. It is easy with its aid to trisect a given angle or to duplicate a cube, and this no doubt was the cause of its invention. Diocles. The third of these mathematicians was Diocles, the inventor of the curve known as the cissoid, or the ivy-shaped curve, which, like the conchoid, was used to give a solution of the duplication problem. He defined it thus. Let AOA prime and BOB prime be two fixed diameters of a circle at right angles to one another. Draw two chords QQ prime and RR prime parallel to BOB prime and equidistant from it. Then the locus of the intersection of AR and QQ prime will be the cissoid. Its equation can be expressed in the form of y squared multiplied by the quantity 2a minus x close bracket equals x cubed. Diocles also solved by the aid of conic sections a problem which had been proposed by Archimedes, namely to draw a plane which will divide a sphere into two parts whose volumes shall bear to one another a given ratio. Perseus, Xenodorus about a quarter of a century later, say about 150 BC, Perseus investigated the various plane sections of the anchor ring, see above, and Xenodorus wrote a treatise on isoparametrical figures. Part of the latter work has been preserved. One proposition which will serve to shew the nature of the problems discussed is that of segments of circles having equal arcs, the semicircle is the greatest. Toward the close of this century we find two mathematicians who, by turning their attention to new subjects, gave a fresh stimulus to the study of mathematics. These were Hipparchus and Hero. Hipparchus. Hipparchus was the most eminent of Greek astronomers, his chief predecessors being Eudoxus, Aristarchus, Archimedes, and Eratosthenes. Hipparchus is said to have been born about 160 BC at Nicaea in Bithynia. It is probable that he spent some years at Alexandria, but he finally took up his abode at Rhodes, where he made most of his observations. Delambre has obtained 
an ingenious confirmation of the tradition which asserted that Hipparchus lived in the second century before Christ. Hipparchus in one place says that the longitude of a certain star New Canis observed by him was exactly 90 degrees and it should be noted that he was an extremely careful observer. Now in 1750 it was 116 degrees 4 minutes 10 seconds and as the first point of Aries regreads at the rate of 50.2 seconds a year the observation was made at about 120 BC. Except for a short commentary on a poem of Eratus dealing with astronomy, all his works are lost. But Ptolemy's great treatise, the Almagest, was founded on the observation and writings of Hipparchus, and from the notes there given we infer that the chief discoveries of Hipparchus were as follows. He determined the duration of the year to within six minutes of its true value. He calculated the inclination of the ecliptic and equator as 23 degrees 51 minutes and it was actually at that time 23 degrees 46 minutes. He estimated the annual precession of the equinoxes as 59 seconds and it is 50.2 seconds. He stated the lunar parallax as 57 minutes which is nearly correct. He worked out the eccentricity of the solar orbit as 1 over 24. It is very approximately 1 over 30. He determined the perigee and mean motion of the sun and of the moon, and he calculated the extent of the shifting of the plane of the moon's motion. Finally, he obtained the synodic periods of the five planets then known. I leave the details of his observations and calculations to writers who deal specially with astronomy, such as Delambre, but it may be fairly said that this work placed the subject for the first time on a scientific basis. To account for the lunar motion, Hipparchus supposed that the moon to move with uniform velocity in a circle, the earth occupying a position near but not at the center of this circle. This is equivalent to saying that the orbit is an epicycle of the first order. The longitude of the moon obtained on this hypothesis is correct to the first order of small quantities for a few revolutions. To make it correct for any length of time, Hipparchus further supposed that the apse line moved forward about 3 degrees per month, thus giving it a correction for evection. He explained the motion of the sun in a similar manner. This theory accounted for all of the facts which could be determined with the instruments then in use and in particular enabled him to calculate the details of eclipses with considerable accuracy. He commenced a series of planetary observations to enable his successors to frame a theory to account for their motions, and with this great perspicacity he predicted that to do this it would be necessary to introduce epicycles of a higher order, that is, to introduce three or more circles, the center of each successive one moving uniformly on the circumference of the preceding one. He also formed the list of the fixed stars. It is said that the sudden appearance in the heavens of a new and brilliant star called his attention to the need of such a catalogue, and the appearance of such a star during his lifetime is confirmed by Chinese records. No further advance in the theory of astronomy was made until the time of Copernicus, though the principles laid down by Hipparchus were extended and worked out in detail by Ptolemy. 
investigations such as these naturally led to trigonometry and hipparchus must be credited with the invention of that subject it is known that in plain trigonometry he constructed a table of chords and arcs which is practically the same as one of natural signs and that in spherical trigonometry he had some method of solving triangles but his works are lost and we can give no details it is believed however that the elegant theorem printed as euclid six d and generally known as ptolemy's theorem is due to hipparchus and was copied from him by ptolemy it contains implicitly the addition formulae for sine of a plus b or sine of a minus b and cosine a plus b and cosine a minus b and carnot shewed how the whole of elementary plane trigonometry could be deduced from it i ought also to add that hipparchus was the first to indicate the position of a place on the earth by means of its latitude and longitude hero the second of these mathematicians was hero of alexandria circa 125 bc who placed engineering and land surveying on a scientific basis he was a pupil of Tisibus, who invented several ingenious machines and is alluded to as if he were a mathematician of note in pure mathematics hero's principal and most characteristic work consists of one some elementary geometry with applications to the determination of the areas of fields of given shapes two propositions on finding the volumes of certain solids with applications to theatres baths banquet halls and so on three a rule to find the height of an inaccessible object and four tables of weights and measures he invented a solution of the duplication problem which is practically the same as that which apollonius had already discovered see above some commentators think that he knew how to solve a quadratic equation even when the coefficients were not numerical but this is doubtful he proved the formula that the area of a triangle is equal to the square root of the expression s times the quantity s minus a times the quantity s minus b times the quantity s minus c where s is the semi-perimeter and a b c the lengths of the sides and gave as an illustration the triangle whose sides were thirteen fourteen and fifteen he was evidently acquainted with the trigonometry of hipparchus but he nowhere quotes a formula or expressly uses the value of the sign and it is probable that like the later greeks he regarded trigonometry as forming an introduction to and being an integral part of astronomy the following is the manner in which he solved the problem to find the area of the triangle abc the lengths whose sides are little a little b little c let little s be the semi-perimeter of the triangle let the inscribed circle touch the sides in points d e f and let o be its center on b c produce take h so that c h equals a f and therefore b h equals little s draw o k at right angles to o b and c k at right angles to b c let them meet in k 
the area ABC or the triangle is equal to the sum of the areas OBC, OCA, and OAB, which is equal to one half little a little r plus one half little b little r plus one half little c little r equals little s little r. That is, is equal to BH times OD. He then choose that the angle OAF equals the angle CBK, hence the triangles OAF and CBK are similar. Therefore, the ratio BC to CK equals the ratio AF to OF, which equals the ratio CH to OD. Therefore, the ratio BC to CH equals the ratio CK to OD, which equals the ratio CL to LD. Therefore, BH to CH equals CD to LD. Therefore, the ratio BH squared to CH times BH equals the ratio CD times BD to LD times BD equals the ratio CD times BD to OD squared. Hence, the triangle BH times OD equals the square root CH times BH times CD times BD, which also is equal to the square root of the expression little s times the quantity little s minus little a times the quantity little s minus little c times the quantity little s minus little b. In applied mathematics, Hero discussed the center of gravity, the five simple machines, and the problem of moving a given weight with a given power, and in one place he suggested a way in which the power of a catapult could be tripled. He also wrote on the theory of hydraulic machines. He described a theodolite and cyclometer and pointed out various problems in surveying for which they would be useful. But the most interesting of his smaller works are his Novmatique and Automata, containing descriptions of about 100 small machines and mechanical toys, many of which are very ingenious. In the former, there is an account of a small stationary steam engine, which is of the form now known as Avery's Patent. It was in common use in Scotland at the beginning of this century, but is not so economical as the form introduced by Watt. There is also an account of a double-forcing pump to be used as a fire engine. It is probable that in the hands of Hero these instruments never got beyond models. It is only recently that general attention has been directed to his discoveries, though Arago had alluded to them in his Eloge on Watt. All this is very different from the classical geometry and arithmetic of Euclid or the mechanics of Archimedes. Hero did nothing to extend a knowledge of abstract mathematics. He learned all that the textbooks of the day could teach him, but he was interested in science only on account of its practical applications, and so long as his results were true, he cared nothing for the logical accuracy of the process by which he arrived at them. Thus, in finding the area of a triangle, he took the square root of the product of four lines. The classical Greek geometricians permitted the use of the square and the cube of a line because these could be represented geometrically, but a figure of four dimensions is inconceivable, and certainly they would have rejected a proof which involves such a conception. It is questionable if Hero or his contemporaries were aware of the existence of the Rhind papyrus, but it would seem that treatises found on it and of a similar character were then current in Egypt, and while I am passing these sheets through the press, the manuscript of a textbook of this kind, 
though most likely some eight centuries or so later in date, has been discovered and reproduced. Doubtless it was from some such source that Hero drew his inspiration. Two or three reasons have led modern commentators to think that Hero, who was born in Alexandria, was a native Egyptian. If this be so, it affords an interesting illustration of the permanence of racial characteristics and traditions. Hero spoke and wrote Greek, and it is believed that he was brought up under Greek influence, yet the rules he gives, his methods of proof, the figures he draws, the questions he attacks, and even the phrases of which he makes use, recall the earlier work of Ames. The First Century Before Christ the successors of Hipparchus and Hero did not avail of themselves of the opportunity thus opened of investigating new subjects, but fell back on the well-worn subject of geometry. Among the more eminent of these later geometricians were Theodosius and Dionysodorus, both of whom flourished about 50 BC. Theodosius. Theodosius was the author of a complete treatise on the geometry of the sphere, which was edited by Barrow, Cambridge, 1675, and Nietzsche, Berlin, 1852. He also wrote two works on astronomy, which were then published by Desipodius in 1572. Dionysodorus Dionysodorus is known to us only by his solution of the problem to divide a hemisphere by a plane parallel to its base into two parts, whose volumes shall be in a given ratio. Like the solution by Diocles of the similar problem for a sphere above alluded to, it was effected by the aid of conic sections. It is reproduced in Suter's Geschichte der Mathematischen Wissenschaften, page 101. Pliny says that Dionysodorus determined the length of the radius of the earth approximately as 42,000 stadia, which, if we take the Olympic stadium of 202 and one quarter yards, it is a little less than 5,000 miles. We do not know how it was obtained. This may be compared with the result given by Eratosthenes. See above. End of the First Alexandrian School The administration of Egypt was definitely undertaken by Rome in 30 BC. The closing years of the dynasty of the Ptolemies and the earlier years of the Roman occupation of the country were marked by much disorder, civil and political. The studies of the university were naturally interrupted, and it is customary to take this time as the close of the first Alexandrian school. End of chapter 4 Read by Paul King, pjk.scripts.mit.edu forward slash pkj